Greetings to each one of you and welcome. As F.M. Lehman wrote the words of that song we just sang, um, I, I had to just ponder that a, a little bit. Uh, he was expressing the love of God in a way that if the whole ocean was ink and every stalk were a pen and the whole sky was the paper, we couldn't write down the extent of, of God's love. It would be impossible, is what, he's, is what he's expressing there. And yet, today we have, in a book, we have the expression of that love. Yet through the written words of this book, we can carry with us, we can read, we can understand, we can't fully understand his love, but we can understand it to the extent that we can agree with him that it's, it's amazing. God is just way beyond um, what we can express. So I'd like to take your attention this morning to the Word of God, and especially to Jeremiah chapter, Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 29. I'd like for you to turn with me to that passage. I'll be taking my sermon out of especially verse 29, where it says, Is not my word like a fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? God is asking us a question and saying, is this not what my word is like? And he is begging us to, I believe, agree with him. And the challenge for us to look at is, is that what God's word is in your life? Is it like a fire, like a hammer? And what, what does he mean by that word picture he gives us? I'd like to read verses 16 through 29 to get a bit of a context here of, of what was taking place, what the, so we can better understand what God is saying to the prophet Jeremiah and ultimately to us today as well. Jeremiah 23, verse 16, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. They make you worthless. They speak a vision of their own heart, not from the mouth of the Lord. They continually say to those who despise me, the Lord has said, you shall have peace, and to everyone who walks according to the dictates of his own heart, they say, no evil shall come upon you. For who has stood in the counsel of the Lord, and has perceived and heard his word? Who has marked his word and heard it? Behold, a whirlwind of the Lord has gone forth in fury, a violent whirlwind. It will fall violently on the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and performed the thoughts of his heart. In the latter days, you will understand it perfectly. I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran. I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel and had caused my people to hear my words, then they would have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their doings. Am I a God near at hand, says the Lord, and not a God afar off? Can anyone hide himself in secret places, so I shall not see him, says the Lord? Do I not feel heaven and earth, says the Lord? I have heard what the prophets have said, who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long will this be in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies? Indeed, they are prophets of the deceit of their own heart, who try to make my people forget my name by their dreams, which everyone tells his neighbor, as their fathers forgot my name for Baal, 
The prophet who has a dream, let him tell a dream. And he who has my word, let him speak my word faithfully. What is the chaff to the wheat, says the Lord? Is not my word like a fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? The spiritual leaders here are misleading the people by using something other than God's word, by speaking with authority in a, from a position of authority, and yet directing the people away from what God has said. You notice in verse 17, they're saying there will be peace. The Lord has said you shall have peace. This is what they're saying to people who are walking after the dictates of their own heart instead of following God. They're promising them a peaceful life. If they do what their own heart is telling them to do. And they're saying, you can listen to your own evil heart and you don't, there won't be any consequences for that. No evil shall come upon you. They're telling them lies. They're directing them away from the word of God. And God goes on to pronounce a judgment on them here. And he is, he's speaking to the prophet Jeremiah, a message that he wants him to deliver to the people of Israel. A judgment on those prophets because of what they're doing, because they're misdirecting the people. He contrasts his word to the words of these prophets as chaff and wheat. Now, I think that's pretty easy for us to understand. We're familiar enough with with what that is, if you ever see a combine going through a field and combining wheat, there's, there's, the grain is being separated from the chaff. So you see the chaff blowing out the back of the combine in a cloud of dust. But what's really of value there, what, what the farmer really wants, what has substance, is being put in a bin, and that's the wheat, what will eventually be turned into food. He says, that's what my word is compared to what these prophets are telling you. What they're saying is like chaff. It's worthless. It has to be separated from the true word of God. And I think the challenge presented here is what words are we listening to? There's a lot of words around us. There's a lot of things we can read, hear, and pay attention to. What are we listening to? And would we agree with God that what he says is like wheat and it needs to be separated from the chaff are not my words more useful and more powerful and then he gives us that word picture there of fire and a hammer I want to spend some time just just looking at at those two illustrations and and what they may all pertain to using a bit of my own thoughts as as Christ here, or as God speaks this, he doesn't go on to really um, tell us all the details about, about what he's, he's saying and how his word is like fire and like a hammer, but they're both things that we're very familiar with. And, and so we're going to take some, some practical illustrations and, and use that to, to challenge us, uh, is this what God's word is to me? Is it like fire and like a hammer in my life? I think there's two things implied here. That is that, that there needs to be a force. There needs to be something applied to that hammer 
and something applied to that fire in order to make it powerful. And both of them can, can produce a lot of energy or a lot of power or are very forceful when, when the right force is applied behind them. <clears throat> both are very common tools that all generations can relate to. Here we have Jeremiah in somewhere around 600 B.C. Prob- probably. He's using the word fire and hammer, and everybody knows what that is. Today, in, in the year 2022, we still know what that is. We use that, a lot of us, um, maybe on a daily basis. Fire and a hammer. <clears throat> so it's interesting to me that, that God uses this as an illustration, something he knew that we today could still relate to. <clears throat> is God's word just a book that's lying somewhere? Or sitting on a shelf. God's word is in the book form. And it's no more than that. Unless the right forces are applied. First of all I'd like to look at. What does God's word say about itself. As to its power. He's indicating that his word is. A powerful force. It can break something. It can burn up something. It can heat something. What does God's word, what does the Bible say about itself as to its power? I'm going to turn to a number of scriptures here. I'm not going to spend a lot of time there, so it's up to you if you want to follow, try and follow me through. But um, just just pointing out some some scriptures that talk about the power of God, or the power of his word. The first one is in 2 Peter chapter 1. Verse 3 and 4, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you you may may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Here he says God has given us everything that we need to live a godly life contained in his word through the knowledge of him. And there's given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. I like the the adjectives he uses there before that. Not just promises, but exceedingly great and precious promises. And by these, we can be assured that we will escape the corruption that is in the world. Is God's word powerful? Yes, indeed it is. Peter is reminding us of the dramatic, the change it can bring to your life. And then 1 Peter 1, 22 through 25. Since you have purified your souls by obeying the truth through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, Love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. So the word of God lasts forever. And not only that, it's not only is it incorruptible and lasts forever, but it changes us. It purifies our souls. It changes our hearts. We can be born again and to change into a new person by the word of God. 
Another passage, and I'm not going to turn here, but it's Psalm 119. And, and I'm not, obviously it's a long, a long psalm, and I'm not going to take the time to read through that. But in that psalm, David, over and over again, I mean, in using poetic language, he, he describes the, the impact of the Word of God and, and his love for the Word of God. Using all kinds of descriptive and poetic language, he gives us a picture of what God's Word is and of its power. And I'll just give you a few of those words. It brings a blessing. It is a counselor. It protects me from iniquity or sin, from falsehood, from lies, from shame. It gives strength. It gives freedom. It is life. It is wealth. It is better than gold and silver. It is satisfaction. It is comfort. It is wisdom. It is peace. It is cleansing. And there will be much more if you take the time to really sort through there. God's word does not change. In, in verse 160 of that psalm, he says, Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. So it, it's, a, it's a resource that, that we gain life from, and it's never going to change. It gives us that, that assurance that what it says isn't going to change. Next year, it's not going to be something different we need to follow after. And not only that, it's never going to go away. It's going to be there for generations to come. Matthew 24 verse 35 says heaven and earth pass away but my words shall not pass away Isaiah 40 verse 8 the grass withers the flower fades but the word of God shall stand forever and Ephesians chapter 6 it talks about the the armor I think that's we're fairly familiar with that probably you children think of Bible school when you think about the armor of God because we studied that recently in our summer Bible school. The Word of God in Ephesians chapter 6 is the sword of the Spirit, it says. And all the other things he lists there, the pieces of armor, are all defensive equipment to protect us from, from what gets thrown at us. And it's probably, you would agree, it's fairly difficult to win a battle when you're only in defensive mode, have no offensive weapons. Yeah, you can protect yourself from a lot, but eventually the enemy is going to corner you somewhere and you're not going to be able to go anywhere if all you have is defense. But here he says the word of God is our offensive weapon. It's our, our sword. That's the one item he mentions in that chapter that is used by us to fight against the enemy. And that battle is going to be won if we fight on God's side. The word of God is an offensive weapon that will win the war. So all this just to give you a bit of a picture of how powerful that word of the, the Word of God is and, and the effect it can have on our lives, the change it can bring. And then I want to look at what for force needs to be applied to the Word of God to make it powerful in your life. I thought about actually bringing a hammer and, and fire, but I didn't. It, you're all very familiar with, with what they look like. So but I want to look, first of all, at, at the power of a fire and make some, some applications to our lives and how we might, how the Word of God might be like a fire in our lives. The power of a fire is determined by three things. Can you tell me what three things you have to have to have a fire? Fuel. Matches. Okay, matches. Yeah, that's that's 
Okay, what, what does a match do when you strike it? What does it cause? Heat, yes. So fuel and heat, what else do we need? Oxygen. Okay, you guys are pretty well educated in that. Uh, oxygen, fuel, and heat are necessary for a fire. You take away any one of those, and the fire is going to go out. So oxygen, I'm going to suggest, is we can compare to the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, I'm going to talk first of all about fire and then about a hammer, and I think it's significant that we're in that order. That is the order that he gives it here, whether or not that's what he intended there, I'm not sure, but the force that needs to be applied to the Word of God to make it powerful in my life is more than just an effort on my part. We get to the hammer, we're going to look more at that, what's required to make a hammer powerful. But first of all, Fire and, and, and I'm going to say that the oxygen or the air that that fire needs in order to burn is like the Holy Spirit in our lives. So we have this promise that God is going to give us his spirit and that spirit is going to help us to understand his word. John 16 verse 7, nevertheless I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. This was Jesus talking to his disciples to your advantage if I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. So we sometimes long to, to live in the time when the disciples did, when they could actually walk and talk with Jesus in person. But Jesus says here, it's better if I go away because I'm going to give you my helper or my spirit. And then 13, however, when he, the spirit of truth, comes... He will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. So we have this promise of a spirit that, that communicates with the Father and speaks his words and his authority to us, and we have that with us today. The presence of the Spirit in our lives is absolutely necessary in order for God's Word to really have an impact. Yes, there's unbelievers who, who read the Word and, and even study it, but it doesn't really have an impact on their lives unless the Spirit is there convicting them and showing them. The fuel for the fire is our hungry, needy soul. John 6, 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger and he who believes in, in me shall never thirst. Jesus invited people to come to him, to be satisfied, to fill that hunger. The fuel that the fire needs is our hungry, needy soul. We need to have, see that emptiness in ourselves and have that hunger, that desire that that be filled with what God has to offer us before the word is going to be powerful like a fire in our lives. We have to have a hunger. And that really, I think, comes to us when we realize our sinfulness, realize that we are sinners. If we don't first of all acknowledge that, uh, we can't come to God as a hungry, needy soul if we don't believe that we have any sin or any need in our lives. Fuel is the hungry, needy soul. And the heat that is necessary for that fire to burn is a passion that we have within us to know Christ through his word. Paul admonished Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, 11, But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Paul's talking to a young man, a young pastor, Timothy, encouraging him in the work that he's been called to do. 
telling him, you need to turn away from this and, and follow after God with a passion. He does that passion, that energy, that, that overwhelming desire in us to, to follow after God, to pursue him, to know him. David expresses this passion again in Psalm 119, as well as probably many of his other psalms, but I, I spent some time just reading through that. He uses words like, I will delight in the word of God. I long for with my whole heart. And, and many other descriptive words there uh, that, that show that David had a passion to follow after God, to, to spend time in his word, to understand what, what God was speaking to him, and to know him as a person. What determines the power of a hammer? Anybody want to the person swinging it, so the weight of the hammer. Okay, that's, that's the two things I have. The person swinging it needs some muscle power, right? And the weight of the hammer makes a big difference in how much of an impact it will have on the object that it hits. The, the weight of that head. Think of the difference between your child's little plastic hammer that pounds a plastic nail or a sledgehammer with a, I don't know what the head of a sledgehammer weighs, but much heavier and you can take a sledgehammer and drop it on a plastic nail and it will shatter, whereas that little toy hammer is going to have a really hard time even budging a steel nail in a piece of wood. So the weight of the hammer and the speed that's put behind it, the muscle power. I must suggest that the weight or the mass of the head of a hammer is how big is God's word in your life? How much is, is it a, a daily part of your life? How much do you pick it up and use it? <clears throat> how big is God's word in your life? Is it stored in your head, in your heart? Is it carried in your pocket? Is it written on your walls? Is it opened on a regular basis for advice to life's challenges? This is what will determine how big, what is the mass of that hammerhead. How big is it? Or is it the Bible just collecting dust? Is it picked up occasionally? Is it just taken to church and ignored for the rest of the week? Just to give you an idea of, of how all that, to, to help you understand how, how much it can be a daily part of our lives and how, how important it can become and, and the weight that it will carry, in a sense, in our lives. Or we can so easily just lay it aside most of the time. I only turn to it when we get really desperate. What is the weight of the hammer of God's word in your life? And then, of course, muscle power behind the hammer determines the speed. There's this combination of muscles necessary in order to swing a hammer. I'm thinking of swinging a splitting maw, trying to split a piece of wood, and you go out and do that for a while, what muscles are going to hurt, if it's, at least if you're like me? You get some sore muscles after a while. It's not only your arm, but, but you might get calluses on your hand from gripping that. You, you might get a sore hand. You might have a sore wrist. And it, it travels all the way to your shoulders, into your lower back, and, and possibly even into your upper legs. All those muscles are being used when you swing that hammer. 
So there's a combination of muscles. And I'm going to say that suggests that muscles that need to be used to make God's word powerful is, is our muscles of reading, of comprehension, of interpreting, and applying it to our lives. <clears throat> Education is important for us today because it builds the muscles that swing the hammer. Don't view school as a necessary evil, even you little children, or you teenagers, maybe, more so. School is not a necessary evil. School is not just about getting a good job sometime, about having the education you need to get a good job. School is building the muscles to swing the hammer of God's Word. In 1 Peter 3.16, Peter is talking about referring to Paul's epistles, Paul's writings, he says, in which, Paul's writings, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. So he's, he, he's acknowledging that some of the things Paul told us are, are hard to understand, but the unstable people and the untaught people are, are going to take those things and twist them. They're not going to know how to apply them correctly. There's where education comes in. We need to be taught and need to learn discernment and how to interpret God's word so that we have the muscle power that we need. Since muscle power required to swing a hammer is a combination of muscles, I think we could say too that the muscles needed to teach, interpret, understand God's word should be a combination as well in, in this sense that just as multiple work, muscles work together in a body, so the members of the church work together to interpret God's word. And I think that's very important in our lives. Now God does give us the ability, like I said, through his spirit, uh, through our ability to read, our education, to, to understand a lot of God's word um, in, in, in just by ourselves, in a solitary way, without contribution from anyone else. But it's also part of his design that, that we bind together as a body of believers and we help each other understand that word because we know we, we all have our blind spots. We all have our, our biases and, and, and our lack of understanding in different areas. But as that group of muscles work together, a heavy sledgehammer can, can break a rock. And so God's word is when, when people bind together to teach it and to understand it and to interpret it and apply it correctly. So the, the members of a church working together in interpretation, I believe, is a very important part of making God's word powerful in your life. Another thing about a hammer that's very important is its handle. And we often don't even stop and think about this. We, we assume every hammer is going to have a handle. But think about the different hammers. If you walk into Lowe's and look at all the different hammers that they have available there, all different shapes and sizes. Some have longer handles, some have shorter handles. And they're all for a specific purpose. So the hammer's handle, if it's longer, it gives you more speed. So, so it helps out those muscles in a sense, puts more speed on the mass that's on the end of the handle. 
A longer handle is more speed, but if the handle is too long, it's going to decrease the accuracy. If, if I get a hammer and the handle, I mean, it reaches halfway back this building, I could put a tremendous amount of force on something, but it's going to be hard to hit the head of a nail that's halfway back there. It's going to be very hard to take that because every little twist in my wrist is going to take that hammer way off the target one way or the other. Whereas if the handle's shorter, you can be a lot more accurate. So it's something important in, in making a hammer useful is that it has the proper handle. And the longer it is, the more speed it gives you. Uh, I think we need to think about this as, as we apply God's word. Uh, what, what are our motives for studying God's word? So if we're going to put all our muscle power behind uh, understanding the word of God, we're going to go to to college and study Hebrew and Greek and whatever you might be in order to understand God's Word. But what is our motive for study? If our motive is wrong, I think it may be kind of like having a handle that's too long. We may be able to get a lot of speed on that, but is it going to be accurate? Is our motive to impress other people by our knowledge? Is it to manipulate others, to throw God's Word at them in order to make them do what we'd like for them to do? Is it to gain superiority and thinking we're the, you know, I'm the most educated person in God's word in this church? What are our motives for knowing God's word? Check your motives, make sure they're right, so that you can be accurate with your hammer. 1 Timothy 6, 20 and 21 says, O Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust, avoiding the profane and idle babblings and the contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. By professing it, some have strayed concerning the faith. Grace be with you. There, I think that's what he's telling Timothy there. Be, be, be sure that, that your knowledge of God's word um, is directed at the right place. Don't stray away from the faith. Make sure your hammer is accurate. One more thing on a hammer that, that is going to be very important to use it effectively is the hand-eye coordination. Not only will the length of the hammer prevent us from being accurate, but if our eyes and our muscles and our body, if our eyes don't coordinate correctly with that, we're going to have a hard time hitting the target as well and really making that hammer effective. Again, something we don't think about when we swing a hammer, unless you, maybe when you hit your thumb you do. Your hand-eye coordination was a little off. But it's very important to make the hammer hit the target. We need to interpret the Word of God in its proper context, or the force will miss the target. For a humorous example, did you know that the Israelites had Dodge pickup trucks? This is an example of how you can misinterpret God's Word. Joshua 6, 5 says, It came to pass when they had made a long blast with the ram's horn. So they're just an illustration of you take one little verse and you pull it out of context, you can give it a totally different meaning. So we need to interpret God's word in the proper context. And I think that's the hand-eye coordination that it takes to swing a hammer, maybe similar to the coordination that it requires in our knowledge in order to, to make God's word, um, apply it to the right, uh, interpret it and understand it and apply it correctly. Another example that I think we might hear more commonly and maybe not so 
humor us is Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is a very familiar verse and one that is used in a broad um, in a lot of instances, and I think pulled out of context in, in many ways. An athlete may use this verse, may quote this verse, when he hit the three-pointer at the buzzer. Oh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And not that that's always out of context, but I think we need to be pretty careful. When, when uh, Paul wrote this, he was in prison. He's talking in the previous verses there about the hardships that he was facing, about how difficult it was for him at times. And he's saying, I've learned to, to take these ups and downs in life and, and to just do what God is calling me to do through his strength. When he said this, he was unable to get out of prison. It was beyond his ability. He wasn't doing any miracles here. He didn't wait to say this verse till God miraculously took him out of jail. He was sitting there, he was stuck there, and he couldn't get out. And if he was praying for God to deliver him, God wasn't answering that specific prayer this time. But yet he said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Christ was the source of strength that he went to. So again, an example of how we can easily misinterpret God's word. We need good hand-eye coordination on that hammer to apply it correctly in our lives. So we intentionally put the fire before the hammer today because we should not reduce the Word of God to something that can be attained or completely understood by sheer willpower, by, by time studying, or by developing good habits. It really is a matter of what we love, who we delight in, what we long for. And that goes back to the fire, the Holy Spirit in our lives, the, the, the fuel, the hungry soul, the passion that we have. Where is our heart at? If our heart wants to seek God, God will reveal himself through his word. But then we also need to apply the muscles and the force behind that to make it effective. David said in Psalm 119.71 that it is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. So when we pray and ask God to give us wisdom in his word, are we ready to accept the afflictions that he may bring us? That can be scary. Sometimes we want to avoid that. But it will, I believe, God's word and its power on, in our life will bring us to the place where we can say what David did here. It is good. It is good that I have been afflicted. He doesn't say it was fun. He just sees that there was a benefit because he learned to follow God. Oh, that God's word would be like wheat and all the other words like chaff. And we'll be able to separate those and make them useful in our lives. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your written word and again what it has revealed to us today. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that we believe is present with us. When we ask you for, to come into our hearts, that you, you give us that spirit and it directs us. It speaks your words to us. We thank you for the, the opportunities we have in education and in study and in uh, working together as a church to understand and apply your word. And that our country has allowed us to 
have a freedom to worship like this and gather together and, and carry your word with us. I pray that we could truly allow it to be very powerful in our lives, to change us, to shape and mold us into who you want us to be. I pray that you give us wisdom and understanding. And as we, we go from our worship service today out into our different our homes, our communities, places of work, and as we rub shoulders with the world, that they could see that the Word of God has changed our lives and that it would give them a picture of something that they desire to and long, long for. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Ken, would you have a closing?